please turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 16, and uh, we'll read the 33rd verse, uh, where it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. We've been looking at uh, the book of Proverbs this fall and various themes in the book. One of the themes is providence, God's providence. What is providence? Well, first let's raise the question of what is predestination? Predestination is the idea that God is running the world by a plan that he's had from the beginning of time. Uh, The way it's uh, phrased in the Shorter Catechism, God's decrees are his uh, eternal purpose, his plan, whereby, according to the counsel of his own will and for his own glory, he hath before ordained or predestined, previously destined, whatsoever comes to pass. God has this plan. Now, that's the Shorter Catechism. That's not Scripture, but it's based on Scripture. And they would have in mind uh, verses like Ephesians 1.11, that God works all things after the counsel of his own will, or Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, I am God and there is none like me. I am the Lord and there is none else, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, in other words, God says, I predict the future. Think of how he predicted hundreds and even thousands of years ahead the birth of Jesus Christ, where he would be born, the fact that he'd be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, what his enemies would say, what he would say, what would be done with those 30 pieces of silver, and so on. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, how is God able to do that? We say, well, he's God, he can see the future. But what he says is, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Saying, I will bring about my plan, in effect. He says, I declare the end because I planned the end. And thus I predict what will take place. It's all a part of my plan. My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So he has before ordained whatsoever comes to pass. Now, The ordering of events so that the plan comes to pass is God's providence. The Shorter Catechism defines it like this. God's providence, God's works of providence, are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all of his creatures in all of their actions. Notice his first aspect of providence is his preserving of his creation. He created it, now he preserves it. Why did the sun get up? God told it to get up. God causes the universe to continue. All things are upheld by the word of his power. It says, in Jesus Christ, all things consist. All things cohere. That's the reason the balance is maintained in nature and so on. Psalm 104 speaks of God sending the streams into the valley. God sending the rain. God causing the grass to grow. And on occasion, God causes it not to rain as he sends famine and punishment to the nation of Israel or other nations and so on. Uh, In Psalm 104, about verse 20, it says that the young lions roar and seek their meat from God. God sees to it that there is provision for the young lions. He maintains the balance of nature. Uh, Jesus said, not a sparrow falls without your heavenly Father. 
God controls the flight of sparrows. He sees that a BB doesn't hit one without his express control and plan and permission. Uh, so here's the teaching of Scripture about that aspect of providence over his inanimate creation, over his irrational creatures. But it's particularly as his providence deals with the children of men that we're concerned and that the book of Proverbs is dealing with. And uh, let's look at what's said about God's providence over the children of men. In uh, chapter 22, verse 2, we have the fact that God's providence governs men's situation in life. 22.2, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. He decides, he plans whether someone is to be poor or rich. And uh, that doesn't negate the part our efforts would play, but nonetheless, ultimately, that's a part of his plan. Uh, In uh, Proverbs 20.12, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made them both. That's reminiscent of Exodus 4.11, where it says, Who made the deaf or the dumb or the seeing or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? The Lord controls all of those things, and they're all a part of his plan. Whether a baby is born blind or deaf, or whether you lose your eyesight, he says, Who made the deaf or the dumb or the seeing or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Uh, The fact of uh, this would indicate that poverty, he makes the rich and the poor, poverty has its mission in this world. When Jesus said, The poor you have with you always, that wasn't just an observation, that was speaking of that's part of God's plan. He places the poor in this world to accomplish something. Uh, What is he accomplishing? Well, obviously one thing, he's drawing out uh, charity and mercy, the grace of liberality from the rest of us. Sort of like the sick room casts an atmosphere over the whole home, so the poor in this world create an atmosphere which is conducive to liberality and uh, to the development of us spiritually. And it develops certain spiritual traits in them also as they learn to trust the Lord in their situation. Uh, We see that his providence governs our situation in life. Think of so many things, where you would be born, what family you would be born into, what you would look like, all of those things totally out of your control and totally under his control. Second, God's providence governs the free actions of men. In Proverbs 20, 24, Man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? Man's goings are of the Lord. He's controlling our actions. Proverbs 16:9. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. One modern translation says, Man proposes, God disposes. A man's heart deviseth his way. You notice there's a certain freedom of human action or of the human will that's recognized in that verse. A man's heart devises his way. A man plans, I will do thus and so because I want to do this, or because it seems a reasonable thing to me to do. There is a a certain freedom to the human will, but notice the limitations of that freedom. A man's heart devises his his ways. Well, what I devise is determined by my heart by the state of my heart. And if my heart is evil, 
My ways that I devise will be evil. And the fact of the matter is that man's heart is evil by nature. Remember, Jesus said, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication. All these things come from within and defile the man. Make the, he says, a, a bad tree, an evil tree cannot bring forth good fruit. Make the tree good and the fruit will good, be good. Make the heart good and man's devisings of his heart will be good. So there's a limitation uh, on that freedom. I'm limited by the state of my heart. That's, of course, why the Bible says you must be born again. You need a new nature. You need a new heart. And when I get a new heart, then I'm free to choose God's will and to do His ways. I want to in a new way because you've made the tree good, not totally good. But the fruit will be good, relatively good. Now, uh, also... Man's actions are limited in another respect. The last half of that verse says, But God directs his steps. A man's heart devises his ways, but God directs his steps. So that the steps of the unsaved, the steps of the saved, are all under the governance of God. No man can step outside of the government of God. Uh, So God's providence governs the free actions of men. Now, this control extends from the thoughts of the heart to the decisions of the king. In Proverbs 16:1, the disposings of the heart and the answer of the tongue uh, is from the Lord. How I think. Ultimately, he's in control of that. Now, ultimately, he's in control of what I say. The king, when he makes a decision, those in highest positions of power, it says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He turneth it as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. The illusion is to their method of irrigation. The rivers of water, the streams of water, they would have a mountain stream maybe coming down into their little farm and they would dig irrigation channels and they, with their foot they could push a little piece of wood that would change the direction of the flow of the water. But it says that the king's heart is like that in the hand of the Lord. He turneth it whithersoever he will. The control extends over everything. Isn't this fatalism? No, this is not fatalism. And it's important to distinguish between this and fatalism. This is predestination and providence. This isn't fatalism. Fatalism doesn't take into account uh, second causes. And fatalism is not a loving God, an all-wise God, directing these events and making the plan. It's blind fate doing it. Uh, the difference, uh, and maybe this, this doesn't cut the nerve of endeavor. Fatalism cuts the nerve of endeavor. Uh, the story goes of an old pilgrim uh, who was on his way to church, had a Bible under one arm and a blunderbuss over his shoulder. And he encounters this sea captain who was pretty much an agnostic, and, and uh, the sea captain said, uh, John, where are you going? He said, to church. He says, well, aren't you a Presbyterian? Yes. Well, don't you believe in predestination? Yes. Well, uh, don't you believe that whatever will be, will be? And uh, if you meet an Indian and it's your time to go, that your time's up. Well, John said, I believe that uh, whatever God wills will be, and that if I meet an Indian and in God's plan, my time is up, my time is up. He said, well, why are you carrying the blunderbuss? 
He said, in case it's the Indian time that's up, you know. <laughs> uh, that's exactly right. This is not fatalism. This is predestination. And this takes into account second causes or means. It doesn't cut the nerve of endeavor. Now, uh, another objection that can be raised is, uh, doesn't this make God the author of evil? Since you say this plan is all-inclusive, God is in ultimate control of all actions. Well, then, since many of those actions are evil, Hitler's Holocaust and so on, doesn't this make God the author of evil or sin? No, it doesn't make God the author of evil. True, evil acts are included within the plan, but God's providence is his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing. He does it in a holy manner so that he is not the cause of the evil that is included within the plan. Uh, Men's heart, man's heart, produces the evil. And of course, Satan is another source of evil. Now, man is fully capable of doing evil on his own. And what God does is he takes the evil that comes from us and he channels it for his own good purposes. When that stream of water came down from the mountain, gravity, in a sense, caused it to flow. But the farmer channeled it for his own purposes, where he wanted it to go. God didn't make Judas betray Christ. The evil was of Judas. But God took that and used it for his own good purpose. Uh, what was the most evil thing that ever happened? The crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, after that crucifixion and resurrection, the disciples gather and pray. And as they pray, they refer back to the telling of the end from the beginning. They refer back to the prophecy about that written a thousand years before by David in Psalm 2 where David had said that the kings of the earth and the rulers thereof would set themselves against the Lord and against his Christ. And they say, that's exactly what happened, Lord, of a truth, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed. He was the Christ. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, the rulers, were gathered together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Acts 4, 27 and 28. That these evil men were doing this according to God's plan, whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Now, the evil was of them. God didn't infuse evil into their hearts. But God took that evil and in his own amazing way, channeled it for his own good purpose, and we call it Good Friday, because God was putting his son through this. As his son was taking our guilt upon himself and being punished by God for our sin, he underwent crucifixion, he underwent damnation in a sense, in his own soul. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, he cries out, undergoing the judgment of God because he has made sin for us. He takes our guilt upon himself as the Son of God and as man and pays for it. And that's God's way in his 
incredible plan of redemption. That's his way of being able to forgive us in accordance with his own law. He doesn't overlook his law. He paid the fine himself by sending his son to die for our sins. And on that basis makes us the incredible offer of a personal relationship with him, of a new heart, of ultimately going to be with him forever in a new heavens and a new earth. If we will acknowledge our sin, acknowledge the claims of Jesus Christ, that he was the Son of God, he did die for our sins, surrender our wills in true repentance, turn from our sin, and trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, that God would forgive us as a gift based on the death of his Son. Have you ever done that? That's the essence of what God has done in Christ. God's providence, uh, as we see here, is governing the free actions of men. His providence governs supposedly chance events, or fortuitous events. Uh, in Proverbs 16.33, which we read earlier, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. That's like saying... The dice are thrown on the table, but how they turn up is of the Lord. He controls the throw of the dice. What could seem more chance than that? And yet it's expressly affirmed that he's in charge of that. Uh, There is no such thing as the accidental or as chance. You have an instance of that in 1 Kings chapter 22, 34, where it says, A certain man drew a bow at venture. And he smote the king of Israel between the harness, Ahab. Ahab had disguised himself. One of the enemy troops draws a bow and shoots at one of these riders in a chariot. Uh, Ahab is killed and the chariot driver takes him out of the battle. And then they wash his chariot at the pool of Siloam. When they wash his chariot, the dogs lick the blood. A little time before... Elijah had gone to Ahab when Ahab had Naboth killed to take Nahab's vineyard. And Elijah says, where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, they will lick your blood. And here are all these seemingly chance events taking place to fulfill that telling of the end from the beginning. Uh, There's no such thing as lady luck. And we shouldn't say, we shouldn't use words like I was lucky or something. Uh, wasn't that fortunate? No. Wasn't that providential? Uh, there's no such thing as luck. And we need to learn not to think that way. Can you imagine David after he takes his sling and hits Goliath saying, What a lucky shot! Or how about uh, when Job loses his children and his cattle and says, Lady luck gave, lady luck takes away. That's not what he said. The Lord gave, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We all have on our minds, of course, the death of Amy Walker in the automobile accident. Isabel Fleece, the wife of Alan Fleece, who is a PCA pastor in Macon, Georgia, formerly the head of Columbia Bible College. She wrote a little book called Not by Accident when they lost their 15-year-old son in a car. And she says in her book that she learned certain things. She says, immediately after the accident, she prayed, Lord, let it be good for everyone concerned. Let it be as good as it can possibly be. And it was. It was good for Ned, the little boy, 
he went immediately to be with Christ. And then, strange mystery though it be, it it was good for us. For in the eternal greatness of our Father's love, this is one of the all things that is working together for our good. I learned that God is fully trustworthy and that in the vast realm of his knowledge and wisdom there is no room for the faithless question, why? With God there is no if. If I had not sent Ned on the errand, if we had never let him have his driver's license, if we'd never gone to the beach, but up above each if and beyond each finite thought stands one who is the eternal God, And from the realm of his abode, he sees the end from the beginning and charts the course that leads us all the way. His purpose is assured. His will is absolute. His foreknowledge is supreme. Before the foundation of the world, his plan was made, and no unexpected accident has ever taken him by surprise. His hand, his loving and almighty hand, was in control as truly in that car that day as it has ever been. And when the nearly 16 years of Ned's bright life on earth were done, God simply took him home, where now a brighter life by far has just begun. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. God's providence is irresistible also. In 1921, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. 2130, there is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. Men oppose God's plan and God's ways, but there is no counsel against the Lord. Even those who rebel against him will one day be made to glorify him, like he got glory out of the overthrow of Pharaoh. There is no effective resistance of God's will. We see what uh, Scripture teaches of God's providence. What lessons do we learn from this? Number one, the importance of knowing God. If there is a God, and there is, who has planned and controls all things, then knowing Him, being right with Him, being in a personal relation with Him, is the most important thing in the world. And no matter what else you face, If it's physical problems or if it's business problems or family problems, nothing else amounts to anything compared to the importance of knowing Jesus Christ personally. And everything else must be put aside while you take care of that matter and then walk in his ways. It's utter folly to put this aside, to procrastinate on this. The importance of knowing God through Jesus Christ. And we learn the importance of seeing God's hand in events. How important it is when things happen to us to understand that they are from his hand. B.B. Warfield, the great theologian, says, Does God send trouble? Surely, surely. He and he only. To suggest that it does not always come from his hands is to take away all of our comfort. Because it is from the hand of a loving Heavenly Father. Everything that comes our way is from the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says all things, that he has power over all things, all authority is given to him in heaven and earth. Uh, he offered himself for us, as we have pictured in the communion supper, his body broken, his blood shed. All things come from his hand. 
And he promises all things work together for good to them that love him, to them that are called according to his purpose. The importance of looking at our fears in the light of this. What are we afraid of? Well, nothing can touch us apart from his permission. Uh, he sent his, his disciples out. He says, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Do not fear men. Not a sparrow falls without your heavenly Father. You have much more value than sparrows. The hairs of your head are all numbered. Nothing can touch you apart from me. Why are you afraid? If I let it touch you, I mean it for your good, even though you don't understand the good. Fanny Crosby in her hymn, All the Way My Savior Leads Me, says this, All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy who through life has been my guide. Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whate'er befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. Whatever befalls me, it's from him, and he does all things well. She lost her eyesight at the age of six weeks when a quack doctor put the wrong ointment in her eyes. But notice her peace. I know whatever befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. Let us pray. As our hearts are bowed, uh, have you been resisting God's will? What folly to do that? Do you know Christ personally? If not, why not right now settle that? Invite him into your heart. Pray like this, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your offering of yourself for me. And I do surrender my life to you, and I trust you as my Savior. Amen.